It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Issue of critical race theory, etc. I'll obviously have to get much smarter on whatever the theory is, um, but I do think it's important, actually, uh, for those of us in uniform to be open-minded and be widely read. And the United States Military Academy is a university, uh, and it is important that we train and we understand. Uh, and I, I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it. So, what is it that caused? thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I do want to analyze it. It's important that we understand that, because our soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians, they come from the American people. So it is important that the leaders, now and in the future, do understand it. I've read Mao Zedong. I've read, I've read Karl Marx. I've read Lenin. That doesn't make me a communist. So what is wrong? with understanding, having some situational understanding about the country for which we are here to defend. And I personally find it offensive that we are accusing the United States military, our general officers, our commissioned, non-commissioned officers, of being, quote, woke or something else because we're studying some theories that are out there. That was started at Harvard Law School years ago, and it proposed that there were laws in the United States, antebellum laws prior to the Civil War, that led to uh, a power differential with African Americans that were three-quarters of a human being when this country was formed. And then we had a civil war and Emancipation Proclamation to change it. And we brought it up to the Civil Rights Act in 1964. It took another 100 years to change that. So look it, I do want to know. And I respect your service, and you and I are both Green Berets. But I want to know. And it matters to our military and the discipline and cohesion of this military. And I thank you for the opportunity to make a comment on that. Yes, well, that was the Joint Chiefs of Staff Chairman General Mark Milley. Uh, I have a lot to say about that, and but let me just say, first of all, this is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff who undermined President Trump uh, verbally after President Trump walked across the plaza to hold up the Bible at St. John's. It was Mark Milley who walked across with him and then stabbed him in the back. Uh, the uh, general that was under the, uh, the commander-in-chief uh, completely— uh, undermined his commander in chief. It was I've never seen anything like it. I don't I don't know if any of you ever have. A lot of you were in the military listening to the show, and when I heard that exchange, I realized I have not talked enough about what's going on in the American military lately. And so we're going to talk about that just for a few minutes. Not a not a deep treatment today, but at least a bit. Now, Mark Milley, in his testimony there, he was in front of a committee. Let's see, I think he's in front of the. Uh, I think it was in front of a Senate committee at this particular hearing. And he, uh, he was testifying along with uh, uh, the uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin, and he got some difficult questions. But Milley was mad because, uh, you know, how dare they accuse the military of being woke? And he said, what did he say? 
Well, I myself has, have read, you know, Marx and Lenin and uh, what's and Mao Zedong. What's, I'm not a communist. What's wrong with that? Our leaders need to know. They need to know about this stuff. They are training. They are the leaders. They need to understand. But so could I just say that that is so ingenuine because and misleading? Yeah. You've got to read about the philosophies of the people that you oppose. You have to understand how they think, and you have to consider maybe they have a point or two. That's uh, I, that any wise person who really wants to understand what's true and what isn't knows that. It's not that, oh, no, no, we don't dare read that. That's what the left does. Oh, no, we can't hear that. You can't say that. You have to shut up. We can't let you say that. That's not how the conservatives think. We are thinkers. We take in all ideas. The difference is that when Millie says, makes that argument, that's a strong argument, isn't it? But it's a half-truth because that's not all that's happening in the military under his leadership. You want to know more about what's happening? Well, uh, this I'm borrowing this from a Newsmax article. Senator Tom Cotton has been shouting this from the house tops, and I'm going to read a little bit of this article. Military service members have complained about being subjected to critical race theory indoctrination as part of the Pentagon's wokeness. Service members said they were divided by race and sex into groups for, quote, privilege walks, end quote. And they spoke out about uh, receiving reading lists of critical race theory books as part of the Defense Department's new anti-extremism and diversity training. One Marine told us a military history training session was replaced with replaced with mandatory training on police brutality, white privilege, and systematic racism. Now, that's just a tiny piece of that article, but I don't want to go too far before I go back to Millie. Millie's telling us, look, how insulting that you should call us woke, that you should say that. Why, we have to be prepared. We've got to lead men of all kinds of persuasions. And this is part of equipping ourselves reading these books. Why I read about Marx. I read about Lenin. Uh, I needed to know about that. Uh, what he doesn't say is when he was reading about Marx and Lenin, I wonder if he, you know, when he was reading about uh, Mao Zedong, was he, did he have to starve his sh- soldiers to kind of see what it was like to be a Maoist? Uh, did he, uh, you know, have to kill anyone so that he could keep up with Stalin and see what it was like to rule over the people around you, including your family members, and ruin their lives? Uh, I, I just, what did you? Did they have to have everything in common? Did they? Um, did they have to say that there was no God? I mean, how did he practice communism and force people under him to do that while he was reading? No, I suspect he just read the book. That's very different than actually implementing these leftist strategies in the American military. So uh, 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 let me just say that Laura Ingram did a segment on this, and she had two guests, uh, Michael Waltz, who's been our guest before. I like Michael. We need to have a long-term conversation with him on this, but let me read to you what he said. I have no problem with history and understanding our history or with diversity, but understanding that critical race theory is teaching our future military leaders that they need to resist our very basic institutions And that our constitution, our court system, our political system is bad and at its core is racist, misogynistic, colonialist, and therefore needs to be pushed back against. These aren't just some kids out in Cal Berkeley sitting out there smoking pot. These are the cadets at West Point, the future leaders of our military, that will one day have their finger on the button. And it is a cancer. Critical race theory is a cancer that needs to be carved out. 
All right, so Millie wasn't, uh, the comments didn't only come from Michael Waltz. They also came from a congressman. I think he's a new congressman. Uh, he's from Florida. His name is Byron Donalds. And I have to tell you, because, you know, we have to identify everyone by their color now. He's black. Uh, Byron heard what Millie had to say, and these were his comments. Let's listen. Congress should not be sending money to the, to the, to the military in order to teach critical race theory. Frankly, we need our white men and women who serve in our armed forces to be prepared to defend our nation against all foreign entities that are going to cause us harm, not having to answer for their whiteness. That is ridiculous. That is a joke. If you want to study the history of the nation, study the history of the nation. But let's be very clear. Critical race theory is a subjective lens to view the history of the country, not an objective study of the history of the United States. CRT is going to split our military ranks like it's splits our young children in schools. It has no place there. It has no place in K-12 education. And the United States government should not be funding that. If if academics want to theorize in the halls of academia, it's a free country. God bless you. Go do it. But we shouldn't be funding it in our military and in our schools. No one's fighting back harder against this than Senator Tom Cotton. And uh, uh, let me just say that he and Dan Crenshaw, also one of my favorites, uh, the Republican from Texas, uh, former uh, Special Services, Special Forces, I should say, um, have put together a whistleblower website, and that's how they're collecting information from people who are actually serving about what they're experiencing in the military. And um, I want to also say that I think Tom Cotton kind of said it best when he said the military for decades has been one of the institutions in this society where you are most likely to get ahead based on your own performance on your own merit, irrespective of the color of your skin or where you came from or who your parents were. You know, as I think back on the history here, um, you know, uh, during the Civil War, blacks were not allowed, they were slaves, but many of them, in, uh, you know, enlisted. The South was very concerned that black slaves would become soldiers. Well, the, the North finally let them become soldiers, but then they kept their ranks separate. But that was the introduction of black uh, black soldiers to the U.S. Army. And then since that time, uh, everything was integrated. So some people, and I think, this is, I think this is likely true from my own experience, would say that the American military has been, if there was one key ingredient that's uh, been a catalyst for the integration of Americans of every race and creed, it would be the American military. People have gone to serve there. They've worked side by side, and it's broken down a lot of the prejudices, I remember my own father, you know, I was raised, my, my parents came through the, the Depression, and uh, there was a lot of racism then. My own parents were kind of unique in their age, but if you heard them talk, uh, you would have you would have labeled them now as racists because they used words that we don't use anymore for black people and other people. Uh, but they, they always understood equality, and they taught me that. Uh, and I think my dad probably learned that during World War II because he would talk about his experiences. He, actually, my dad came from a, a very racist family. Uh, some of them were really horrible. I remember honestly getting in a terrible, terrible argument with some of his family members about that very issue. But um, my father was different. But he had served in the military, and I think he had served alongside people he'd never been with before. And it broke down barriers. So I'm just saying, uh, when Tom Cotton says that the military for decades has been the one institution where people could get ahead because of their own performance, not because of their skin color. He's right about that. But now they're, they're trying to get soldiers and airmen and 
uh, whatever the other categories are, to, to look at each other in terms of race. Let's go back to this article in Newsmax. A service member's now reporting, I've said this before, but I'm going to repeat it because it's worth repeating. They are divided by race and sex into groups for what are called privilege walks. Uh, and uh, to, to, to go into that, um, let me go down because he, uh, Cotton expands on that a little bit. He says, members of the wing were ordered to separate themselves by race and gender in order to stratify people based on their perceived privilege. So um, they've received all kinds of complaints. Again, a Marine told them that military history training session was replaced with mandatory training on police brutality. So does does General Milley not know this? Oh, I think he does. Uh, But that was, now you understand why he undermined President Trump, because he has an opinion. The military, as I have explained to you before, the Pentagon was really pretty much purged of any conservatives during the Obama years. Uh, It was an all-out, people that were good men, good soldiers, good chaplains, shall I say, that's one I have experience experience with, uh, ended up either either being uh, rooted out, forced to leave early, or they just chose to leave early because they made it so miserable for them. And that's why uh, General Jerry Boykin and I went to the Pentagon to present petitions to uh, the uh, head of the chaplains at the uh, Pentagon, because they were make it imp- in, making it impossible for Christian chaplains to really do their jobs, all the restrictions. This is not new, but now they're taking it to a new level. Meanwhile, as I said, the good men and women, uh, mostly men, uh, have stepped aside or retired. And so what we're left with is the General Mark Millies of the world, and that's why our Pentagon and our Army and Navy and Air Force are in such trouble. It's really disturbing. I heard from... Uh, former uh, Master Sergeant Gary, I'll just give his first name, he's U.S. Air Force, retired. He sent me an article about uh, how they had a, a drag queen show uh, at an Air Force base. And uh, it's where they they train some of the highest-end pilots in the Air Force. So um, they are messing with uh, the minds and spirits and really character of our military, confusing them, setting them against each other. It's a very dangerous situation, which we will have more conversation with at a later date. Coming up next, you're in for a treat. Uh, one of my favorite people to, to uh, interview is Ken Cuccinelli, uh, and he's into uh, some new projects that are just fascinating. So you're, you're going to want to stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The Supreme Court dismissing this challenge to the Affordable Care Act. They are saying that the plaintiffs in this case, who were the Republican-led states, so the attorneys general of these various states, including Texas, who have been challenging this law for several years, it's gone up through the courts. The Supreme Court here saying they don't have standing to challenge this law. So for now, the law will stand until potentially another challenger, someone different, brings a case. This is a, a significant victory, if you will, for the millions of Americans who have gained health care coverage under the Affordable Care Act. 
impact. We've seen President Biden in just the first six months of his presidency really focus in on the Affordable Care Act. Um, he celebrated uh, the anniversary of the Affordable Care Act just a few months ago. He opened up the exchanges. He extended the time that people could get on the exchanges to sign up for health care uh, until August. So this is a significant victory for the Biden administration that urged the Supreme Court not to strike this law down. Interestingly here as well is the vote count. It's a seven to two vote count with conservatives and liberals joining. It was Alito and Thomas, those justices dissenting. So really deciding this case on a technical issue that results in the entire law remaining. The Affordable Care Act will stand here, Poppy, and like I said, a victory for the Biden administration as well as the 20 plus million Americans who have gained coverage yeah. under this law. So it will remain, according to the Supreme Court. Yes, it will remain. And, uh, you know, just to put this in perspective, uh, many of you will remember, but some won't because there is a ton of news. The Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was uh, consumed us, consumed our, our information, consumed our passions. It was because of the passage of that act. I think it was Christmas Eve of uh, December of 2010. passed without any uh, Republican votes. It passed overwhelmingly. And suddenly we were forced to drop our private health care plans. Many of you had to go on Obamacare, including members of Congress. At the time, you may recall that Barack Obama promised voters when he was running that uh, it, this particular plan would cut premiums by $2,500. And in reality, what's happened is that premiums have increased to $20,576 in 2019, and that, that was from 13375 in 2009. That was a 54% increase just then. It didn't happen. Uh, it was a lie, and so there have been strategic fights to stop it ever since. Here, here we are in 2020. And so what happened in the court just last week is this 7-2 decision uh, came down and really affirmed Obamacare shockingly. And one of the key players in trying to stop Obamacare was the former Attorney General of Virginia, who is a good friend. He's been with us many, many times. And in reading this story and hearing about this another historic thing happening, I wanted us to talk to Ken. It was his brainchild, really, that started this whole cha this particular challenge to Obamacare. Ken is the former, again, Attorney General of Virginia. He's also uh, the former acting uh, Secretary of Homeland Security for the S Customs and Border Patrol, and he joins us this morning. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Sandy. Always good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you. And, um, you know, Ken, one thing, I, I just before we talk about this particular thing, you have always had a talent, and I really do mean a talent, uh, for the laser, laser focus on what can be done. And it's not gimmicks. It's really a very, a very sound legal arguments to stop and counter and fight certain things. And this was one of them. Do you remember how you conceived of this plan? And explain to us what it was. What was the logical reason that you proposed and other attorney generals joined in to stop Obamacare? Well, um, there were several. Actually, there were four constitutional attacks on Obamacare. And when it went all the way to the Supreme Court, we won on three of them but we had to win on all four. Ironically enough, the one we lost on, that Justice Roberts switched his position, it appears, to support Obamacare as a tax, um, was, not, was not a position that any judge 
uh, I'm sorry, any court below the Supreme Court took. So for the first time anywhere, Obamacare was ruled a tax and it saved it 5-4. And um, we knew the structure of the bill when uh, Scott Brown, you remember Scott Brown and his of little course. red pickup in Massachusetts? Yes. Yes. So when he got he got elected basically as an anti Obamacare move in Massachusetts, which had had Obamacare. It had been put in place by then Governor Romney and they tried it out. And and by the way, states have the right to do that. That was constitutional, whether you think it's a good idea or not, but it at least demonstrated that it didn't work. <laughs> That didn't stop the Democrats, though, from trying to foist it on the country. So that was round one. We lost that round, um, and we lost it because Justice Roberts decided that the penalties that were called fines in the bill brought it under the taxing power of the Constitution. That then, when those fines were removed by the Republicans in 2017 in the tax bill that President Trump signed, a number of states went back and said, hey, there's no tax basis for this bill anymore using Justice Roberts' own um, rationale, so the bill should be eliminated. Now, on the substance, I think they're unquestionably correct. The problem, and the way they lost this past week, um, by seven to two, was that the Supreme Court found they are not harmed, that there isn't a harm to the states by the removal of the fines. And so they lacked standing. Yes, it's a technical loss. It doesn't eliminate the possibility that the law can be challenged a different way. And this is one of the problems we often face on the right. And I faced it as attorney general with Obama as president. What he often does is refrain from enforcing the law. And if so, who's injured? And, and that's the question the court asks, who is injured? And specifically, they ask the plaintiff in front of them, how are you specifically injured and in a way that is different from everybody else? We can all say that Joe Biden not enforcing the law at the border right now is injuring all of us. But you and I, Sandy, don't have any particular injury that is different than anybody else. Um, so you need, a, you need a differentiated, specific injury to yourself to bring a case. And the Supreme Court said, sorry, states, you don't have such a differentiated injury here, so you don't have standing. And the way the majority views it is they're essentially being asked to issue an opinion and the court doesn't issue opinions. They resolve disputes. But can, so but, all right, it's disappointing, but yeah. not shocking, because the conservatives in particular are tough on standing. All right, so uh, some questions, <laughs> lots of questions. Isn't it, isn't it true, though, that states, by the fact that people who, under Obamacare's provisions, are then... States had to open up their Medicaid rolls to a wider swath of people. No, the, so no, that, no, no, they did not have to. Okay, okay. all right. They did not have to. They okay. made a one-time choice to get money, and this is what, um, and, and Justice Roberts on day three of the Obamacare arguments made this very point, and it was very painful because it was true. 
he said to the states in oral argument, he said, you were not forced to take this money. You made the choice and thereby gave up a measure of your own sovereignty. And he was absolutely right. And um, unfortunately, on that point, and what we call mandates, Sandy, are frequently not mandates. They're mm-hmm. bribes. Yep. The federal yes. government offers your state this pot of money if you do these 10,000 things. And it is a rare state legislator who will say no to federal money for almost any reason. Well, that's a, boy, that's a fact. And they do that in, in the education department notoriously. That I'm familiar with terrible things they've done to these so-called mandates. Let's go back, though, because um, this stuff is so familiar to you and somewhat to me, too, that sometimes I think we could be clearer. And I want to go back to the John Roberts decision, which was just shocking. Uh, and I want to talk about that just for a second. Uh, now, hell, I'm going to say it in lay language. My understanding, Ken, is that when he changed the language to calling that mandate or that fine, whatever it was, a tax, that gave the Congress the authority to force people to buy Obamacare, to instill the law. Without it being a tax, they had no authority. That was the point, right? Without the fine, right. I mean, they they make it a law and they say you have to do it. The way it happens now is you and I aren't fined. We can disobey it and not be fined. And um, because that was removed by the Republicans with the tax bill in 2017. Um, However, what they do is they still order the insurance companies. You can only offer these Nancy Pelosi approved insurance policies. And you mentioned at the outset, Obama promised us $2,500 drops in premiums. In fact, it's been just about exactly the opposite, about $2,500 increase in cost, and ah, squeak, everybody's deductible went up. I mean, it got worse on every level. Oh, and by the way, you remember the old lie, if you like your doctor, you'll oh. be able to keep them. That wasn't oh, true yes. either. No. If uh, for no other reason that because of the paperwork and the stipulations and the bureaucracy involved in Obamacare on medical personnel. A lot of doctors uh, retired, got out early. They, they were just, they, yes. it was miserable. It was onerous. So a lot of people lost their doctors because of that. As, uh, all of health care has know, been Sandy, shaken to the very before core. Before you leave that point, if I could, because you yeah. hit on something that even in the 11 years since Obamacare has hardly been talked about at all, and that is the long-term devastation of the inflow of doctors into medicine. So if you look, my brother's a doctor. And, um, and, um, if you look at the way it used to be before Obamacare, 60 plus percent of doctors said they encouraged their children to go into the medical profession. That is literally dropped by half. And, um, and when I went to law school, People getting in med school could get into law school, but not everybody getting into law school could get into med school. That's right. Now it's the other way around, which means the best and the brightest aren't going into medicine because it's the government's turning it into a factory line. They're turning it into a miserable profession where people don't get to spend their time helping people, which is what so many of them want to do. Um, they end up doing paperwork and they work in these silos that only function the way the federal government dictates they function um, via insurance companies. And it's, and it has a tremendous effect. 
There will always be doctors, but the quality is going to go down and down and down and down. And you're not necessarily going to see that, obviously, out in the world. But that's what's happening. It's one of the major, huge side effects. And it is the most undiscussed side effect of them all, I think. Oh, I think so, too. And Ken, honestly, I think the whole COVID thing has, I don't think it's a stretch for anyone to see that the medical profession has been politicized, not in a small part, by Obamacare. I remember, and I know you do, too, Obamacare really politicized, like having doctors ask private questions collecting information on people, like do your parents have guns, what's your religious affiliation, all kinds of personal information they collected. And uh, look, I can't explain how that correlates, but I know that it does, to the fact that doctors then, after COVID, started really parroting the left. Not all of them. They are divided, but I can say this personally. I have good friends who did get COVID, who were in that risk age group, who could not get hydrochloroquine or any kind of medication, who were told the only way they could get medication of any kind was to allow them, was to, to uh, admit themselves into the hospital. And uh, some of them suffered for weeks because they couldn't get um, medication. And that's nothing yeah, but political, and, Ken. Yeah, no, there's no question. It was definitely a joint effort um, between the, the, the politically correct media and, uh, and the, the politically correct medicine. And um, uh, Dr. Zev Zelenko was the New York doctor Trump referred to last March about that viral bomb treatment. This is a treatment that's been known for a long time um, for other viruses. In fact, there's peer-reviewed material put out, I want to say, by NIH in 2005 on this subject. So this was never crazy and it, it, it had it showed a, above an 80% reduction in death rates where it's been applied. And yet, uh, you know, the politically correct medical joins with politically correct media to try to suppress it. And it's literally cost us over 400,000 American lives. Yes, and we talked about uh, the, these kind of uh, these rewards government gives through money. Look at what they did with COVID, yeah. you know, granting yeah. all kinds of money to uh, to declare someone uh, COVID positive or to declare a death due to COVID when it wasn't uh, necessarily about that. It's just kind of amazing what they've done. Um, Ken, I, when we return, I just want to say a few more words about this Supreme Court decision. I would like people to know what, what uh, Justice Alito said in his dissent because it just has to be repeated. It's classic. And just your comments about the way the justices ruled, even though you've given them some mercy in your opening comments. It'd be interesting to know what you thought about that. Then I also want to change the subject because you're representing sure. Congressman Louis Gohmert and Congressman Andrew Clyde in an incredible lawsuit against Nancy Pelosi. And so we're going to talk about that yep. too when we return. So my guest again is Ken Cuccinelli. We'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. 
Sandy Rios back with you with my uh, my special guest, Ken Cuccinelli, again, the former Attorney General of Virginia, and the discussion about this uh, lawsuit against Obamacare that just, uh, the Supreme Court just reestablished Obamacare for all of us, yay, Supreme Court, by a vote of 7 to 2, but he's also the former Acting de- de- uh, Deputy Secretary of Homeland Security for Customs and Border Patrol. All right, so, Ken, I want to talk about personnel here quickly, if we could. It is really stunning uh, people might remember, they should, that when Amy Coney Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh uh, went through their confirmations, they were crucified uh, for, you know, they were going to overturn Obamacare. They actually put pictures of victims in seats, uh, the congressmen, when, the Democratic congressmen, when they would, yeah. um, or I should say, senators. And then they were b- bashed by Schumer, by Pelosi, Kamala Harris, Joe Biden, said this, the goal of the Republican Party for 10 years was a litmus test in selecting this nominee, meaning Amy Coney Barrett, regardless of the damage done to the U.S. Senate, to Americans' faith in the legitimacy of the Supreme Court, to our democracy, and regardless of how the Affordable Care Act has protected hundreds of millions of people before or during the pandemic. (laughs) They blamed her and also uh, Brett Kavanaugh. And ironically, how did they vote? Tell us, Ken Cuccinelli. Well, they voted with the majority to find that standing did not exist for the plaintiffs to proceed to attack the merits of the case, to go after Obamacare. They just, they held that the states were not specifically harmed, or any of the plaintiffs were not specifically harmed um, by the elimination of the fine, which Justice Roberts had previously called a tax. Um, and so they... They didn't say they were wrong on the merits uh, of Obamacare. They said they don't get they don't get the opportunity to make that case because they're not injured. Oh. And well, yeah. um, that's a classic conservative position, by the way. Um, it is not unusual for conservatives to be much tougher on standing than liberals. The problem is liberals are tough on standing on on conservative cases and not on liberal cases. Conservatives are tough on standing in all cases, so you can yes. guess how that plays out. Well, even Clarence Thomas was one of the seven, which which is always, you know, he's always in our team. Uh, but he is an honest jurist, and I guess, according to your analysis, you understand. But now, here's Justice Alito, my hero today, and he, along with uh, <laughs> Neil Gorsuch, uh, dissented. And this is what Justice Alito said. I have to read this, Ken. He said... Today's decision is the third installment in our epic Affordable Care Act trilogy, and it follows the same pattern as installments one and two. In all three episodes, with the Affordable Care Act facing a serious threat, the court has pulled off an improbable rescue. No one can fail to be impressed by the lengths to which this court has been willing to go to defend the ACA against all threats. A penalty is a tax. The United States is a state. And 18 states who bear costly burdens under the ACA cannot even get a foot in the door to raise a constitutional challenge. So a tax that does not tax is allowed to stand and support one of the biggest government programs in our nation's history. Fans of judicial inventiveness will applaud once again. But I must respectfully dissent. Don't you love that? Alito, I'll tell you, when he's lit up, he is a colorful dissenter. I agree. Um, I agree. And he really is. And um, But he is right. I mean, when you look at some of the things up to this point the court has done to avoid declaring this unconstitutional, I mean, it, it, it seems like very extreme contortionist work. 
Um, and, um, you know, I, I'm not happy about the outcome by any means, but he is, he is right. They seem to just bend over backwards. Now, they is not typically the conservatives. The liberals have gone the craziest and the most, the most limber bend over backwards was the original one by Roberts finding the penalty to be a tax. Um, even though it had none of the markings of a tax and no other court in America had found it to be a tax. Well, and the sad... um, So Alito is, he's on the money in the general terms that they've just gone crazy to to try to keep this thing alive. Yep. And uh, and the sad thing is the American people are strapped with this for the foreseeable future. It's it's really disgusting. And um, our health care, our once incredible health care system, not without flaws, but really, the the beacon in the world is being shredded, and uh, it's it's uh, and it's in no small part because of the Supreme Court. Let's change subjects because this one is equally compelling and something that most people probably are not even aware of, Ken. And that is a lawsuit that Louis Gohmert and Andrew Clyde—they're both congressmen. Everyone knows Louis well because he's a good friend, uh, and you are representing them. And let me, before we talk, play uh, Congressman Gohmert's words at a press conference you guys held just last week. Let's listen. Since we know the chief of Capitol Police said there's no intelligence from any source that any member of Congress is a threat to any other, it's about optics to the speaker and those around her. It's not about doing the people's business. It's about keeping people with a different point of view from doing their business. And in fact, as a follow-up, we've been notified that we have to start telling, uh, providing information on who visits us and what their topic is about. Well, this is covered by speech and debate protection. And as soon as the speaker starts telling us and shows us her records on everybody she meets with, then we'll start showing her information about everybody we meet with so what is this about it's about power and we as republicans have not stood up to the abuses from democratic leadership and i know some of you might say well you know jim clyburn uh, got fined well yeah and then they find hal rogers so they could do a prisoner exchange so that no democrat still has been fined for, for violating the metal detectors. I didn't even violate the metal detectors. I went satisfactorily through the metal detectors on uh, the day in question, February 4th, the same day that the speaker violated the metal detectors going to the House floor. Well, I went through, I went through satisfactorily, sat on the floor, I don't know, an hour or so, and then I went and there's no metal detector between the House floor and the members only restroom. Police are in there all day. It's uh, it's not like there's a tank on the toilets where somebody could leave a gun like the Godfather. <laughs> They're in there inspecting all day long. And I come out, and for the first time, they said, oh, we need to wand you. And I said, no, you saw me. You saw where I went. It's just right there. You've now done this before. You're not, no need to do it again. I've already been through the metal detectors. And I get fined. Yeah, so that's just part of that press conference. And uh, so Louis Gomert and Congressman Andrew Clyde are both uh, being represented by our guest, Ken Cuccinelli, uh, in this lawsuit against Nancy Pelosi. I guess the first question I have, 
Ken, is what powers constitutionally does the Speaker of the House actually have? What is the, the, the scope of their authority as they are the Speaker? So the Speaker is unique in Congress because she's identified, her position is specifically identified in the Constitution, and she has administrative responsibilities that no legislator has. Um, For instance, the chief, not the chief of police, the House Sergeant-at-Arms answers directly to the Speaker. The Speaker is that person's boss. Now, they have to be elected by the whole House, but once elected, that person's boss is the Speaker. Same thing with the chief administrative officer, and she does things like pay the congressman and so forth, handles, just as the title suggests, administrative duties. But they report strictly to the Speaker. They don't take orders or obey anybody else in the House. And it is the sergeant-at-arms that's implementing this security rule that you heard Louis Gohmert talking about. It, you know, I know Louis's been on your show many times. For those who don't know, Congressman Gohmert used to be a judge. So when we wander into this legal arena, he's well prepared. He knows what he's talking about. Um, and, um, and his point, I think, was dead on the money. This whole rule, they established a rule under House Resolution 73, the majority voted to impose this, uh, to inspect people coming to the House floor. And this was all part of Nancy Pelosi's narrative that Republicans and the people who vote for them are dangerous. You and I are dangerous. And Louis's comment is very important about the chief of police. And I want to zero back in on it. The chief of the Capitol Police on February 24th was briefing the Republican conference. And she said, Chief Pittman was asked, is there any intelligence? that any member of Congress is a threat to any other member? And her answer is no. There is no such intelligence. And by the way, Chris Ray, FBI, gave a similar answer in a hearing. This is all about optics, as Louis said. It's all about the narrative. And Andrew Clyde has been clear about this as well from the very beginning. And the difference is, and it's one thing to impose political optics on your opponents or try to, it is another to trample the Constitution to do it. And they're violating several different parts of the Constitution to do this, and thus our lawsuit. I'm proud to represent them. I'm, they're both fighters. Um, Andrew Clyde, before he ever got to Congress, uh, he ha- his business is that of an armory. He's a gun sale and ammo salesman. And um, the IRS came after him, and they took they literally took cash from his business before uh, a dispute was over, they seized funds, and he fought them, and he beat them. And uh, so he's he's been in fights with bullies before. Louis, of course, been in Congress for a decade and a half, and he's been fighting for the Constitution the whole time. This is just one more example for him. Yeah, so um, explain the scope of what they're doing. And uh, Louis kind of touched on it, but they're, they're actually taking money from, they're finding them and taking the money out of their salaries, are they not? That is exactly how it's going. And so let's talk about why that's a problem constitutionally. Um, the 27th Amendment, which your listeners have probably never heard about, uh, 
passed in 1992. It was ratified in 1992. But it was proposed by James Madison with the original package of what became the Bill of Rights. And it didn't initially pass. It passed, it took over 200 years to get the three quarters of states to ratify that amendment. (laughs) And so this is a case of what's called first impression. It has not been fought out in the courts before. But to your point, Sandy, they're taking this money from these guys' salary. And the 27th Amendment says they cannot vary their salary in the same congressional, in the same Congress, uh, Congress is a two-year period, um, as when whatever imposition is proposed. So if they want to find people as they voted for, the Democrats only, of course, in February, they can't do it until the next Congress. Now, that can't actually happen because this isn't a law. It's a House resolution. It only applies to the House. And so it's unconstitutional under the 27th Amendment. And I would point out in Article 1, Section 5, it says that Congress may discipline its members for disorderly behavior, punish its members for disorderly behavior. Well, you can't say that walking onto the floor of the House, if you're a congressman, to vote is disorderly behavior. So they are attempting to do exactly or one of the things that this amendment was intended to avoid. They're trying to put political pressure on Republicans to conform to their political narrative, to go through these magnetometers. um, And so all the world can see everybody in Congress doing this and perceive there to be a danger that does not exist. Yes, I also and it's think it's all part of their political narrative. Yes, and I think they're trying to harass the heck out of conservatives just to make their lives miserable. We wonder why they're not able to fight effectively. They're trying to fight these kind of battles where they are. Ken, there's the music so quickly. You're going to argue this before the D.C. Circuit. Isn't the D.C. Circuit configured in a very concerning way because of Barack Obama's appointments? Um, it is stacked against us. Both courts are, but we're in the district court first. Um, we have uh, Judge Kelly was assigned to our case. He was a judge uh, nominated and by President Trump. Um, that will not get us any advantage, but I'm confident that we will get a fair hearing in the trial court. Okay. And whoever well, then, loses will go to that court of appeals. Okay. Well, I can't wait to follow up on this. There's more to be said. And I just wanted people to know about it. Ken Cuccinelli, a champion. Everywhere he goes, he's a champion. This is Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk.